Good morning, family. He is risen. Amen. Let's give God some praise. What a beautiful opportunity to join with the body of Christ universal. Today, all around the world, in every continent, God's people are gathering to worship him and to give him praise for what he has done to save us and to bring us into a right relationship with his father. And today you may be here and perhaps you don't have a body of Christ where you are part of or you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, today, before we even begin this message, I want you to know there's good news for you today. And that good news is that God loves you and he has an incredible plan for your life. And in this message today, we're going to give you some of those ideas about what that plan is. So that at the end of the message today, you will be in a better position to make an eternal decision this morning about what you will do with Jesus the Christ. So would you bow with me this morning for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we've come today with the rest of your body on earth to worship you, to praise you, to give you honor and glory and to just tell you thank you for how much you've loved us and how much you've done for us. We come today at the empty tomb because you conquered death, you conquered hell, and you conquered the grave. And you have paved a way for us to be now available to go to heaven, to be with you for all of eternity. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us. Now, for the one that's here today, Father, that doesn't know you, would you give them a special grace? Would you remove scales from their eyes that they would be able to see, to hear, and to receive this wonderful good news? And then for the believer who is born again and has a personal relationship with you, would you encourage them today in the midst of whatever struggles or trials they too may have? And then finally, I would ask, would you continue to bless our church? Would you smile on her? Would you strengthen her? Would you continue to make us one as you are one? In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Our text today is a very powerful text. It comes from the gospel according to John. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. That's John, beloved, the one who wrote this gospel whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. And Peter, therefore, he went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. And they, he came, rather, to the tomb first. And stooping down, John, that disciple, 
he looked in and he saw that the linen cloths were lying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came and following him, he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been wrapped around his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but rather it was folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, he went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own homes. And all God's people said, amen. I want to tag this message for us on this Easter Sunday morning when the disciples came looking for Jesus. Beloved, it was after the crucifixion the crucifixion of our Christ, that the disciples all decided to throw the towel in on ministry and go about doing life the best way they knew how. Every one of them was discouraged. Every one of them was down and out. Every one of them was suffering from unwanted sadness. Have you been there? Have you ever experienced the sadness and the sorrow of life? Times were tough for these 12 men and the rest of those followers of Jesus. And they had thought at one time they had the Savior of the world. And then the community turned on him, crucified him, punished him, and he died. These brothers were so discouraged, I like to say they were longing for Jesus, but they quit looking for Jesus. See, what the brotherhood had failed to understand was that a great miracle had taken place. Jesus had risen from the dead, and he was now setting up a meeting place to meet with them. There are three things I'd like to preach for you on this Resurrection Sunday morning, and I think they'll help us to understand what happened when the disciples came looking for Jesus. Number one, I'd like to point out the disciples' sorrow. Number two, I'd like to point out the disciples' search. And then number three, I'd like to point out the disciples' sign. Their sorrow, their search, and their sign. The Bible says in verse number 20, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran to get Simon Peter and the other disciple, who was John, who Jesus loved, and she said to them, they've taken away the Lord, and we do not know where they've laid him. Beloved, in our text today, 
the first thing we see as we land at this portion of God's word is that there is great sorrow among the disciples. Mary Magdalene and the other women had just anointed the Lord's body and placed him in this tomb the night before. She gets up early that morning to go back and finish the burial process. See, they had to stop because it was the Sabbath. And nobody was allowed to work on the Sabbath. So they wrapped Jesus up as best as they could, embalmed the outside of the body, and placed him in the tomb to come back on Sunday morning and complete the job. But when she gets there, she discovers that the place they put the body, the tomb, had been emptied. So she ran to get Peter who was known to be one of the guys that Jesus trusted to lead in the ministry. And she tells them the good news. And then the Bible says, he and another brother came running to the scene to search for what Mary had described for him. Now, I know that seems like a simple uh, illustration or even statement, but there's something happening in this text I need to show you. The Bible says that when he comes running, he comes huffing and puffing his way to the tomb to see if Mary's report is true. And when he comes, look at what happens, family. We see Peter looking for Jesus one more time. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, Peter had made a life of looking for Jesus. You see, uh, it was true that he had searched for him many other times. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a list of five different times of how Peter looked for Jesus. I think this is interesting, though, that even in his time of sorrow, even in his time of stress, even in his time of disappointment, he still has a desire to see Jesus. And I wonder where you are today. Has this world gotten you so tired? Has the circumstances and the situations and the political nature of our country turned your life into sadness? Has some financial situation or some brokenness in your family turned your joy into sorrow? And you're looking for Jesus, but you just can't seem to find him. If that's you today, beloved, if that's you when you're walking in those moccasins or sandals today, I stop by to tell you you're in the right place this morning. It's not by chance that God woke you up this morning, put breath in your lung, clothed you in your right mind, and brought you to the world's greatest church to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, like the disciples, you may be on a search. And if you are, there's an answer for your sorrow. We've looked at the disciples' sorrow. Let me show you now some more about the disciples' search. The Bible says that then Peter came following John as they ran to the tomb. And he got there. John stayed on the outside, but Peter kept going. He went inside. Let me say that again. John outran Peter. I think he was like me, Peter, a little overweight, a little heavy on the midsection. I think he was a middle-aged man doing his best. To figure it out, he gets to the tomb and he goes in, but John stays outside. 
Peter went in and guess what he saw? He saw the linen cloths that they had wrapped Jesus in lying there. And the handkerchief that they would usually put around the head in the embalming period was not there, but it was folded neatly and laid to the side. Beloved, as I mentioned earlier, Peter had made it his life career to to follow Jesus, to search for Jesus. Here's my proof. The first time Peter comes looking for Jesus, his brother Andrew comes to him and says, John Baptist has told us that the man from Nazareth baptizing is the Messiah. Come and see him. That's John chapter 1, verse 41. Peter came searching. The second time we see Peter looking for Jesus is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. He was out on the fishing bank catching fish when Jesus told him he had his net on the wrong side. He came searching for Jesus. The third time we see Peter looking for Jesus is when his mother-in-law got healed. And Jesus raised mom back to life, and Peter went out that next morning to find Jesus because Jesus had slipped away to pray in the morning hours. The fourth time Peter came looking for Jesus was when they were in trouble out on the ocean, out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was standing and walking in the midst of the water, and Peter asked Jesus, can I come out to you? Jesus said, come. The fifth time Peter came looking for Jesus was a few days ago when they had crucified him or were preparing him for his execution. Peter was by his side, and yet, When they asked Peter, are you with Jesus? He denied him. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and Peter wept bitterly. But he was still there looking for Jesus. I believe that Peter might have thought his days of looking for Jesus was over. But yet here we see him one more time looking to see the one that he loved. And I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from this morning. I don't know what your trial, tribulation, or trouble may be. But somebody here today, I believe in my heart of hearts, needs to be encouraged this morning. Because perhaps you're like Peter. Perhaps you failed the Lord. Perhaps you're like Peter. You haven't been a woman or a man of your word. Perhaps you're like Peter, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're looking for the one who has the answers to a horrible work and a horrible life. Well, somebody here today, you can take your cues from Peter this morning and keep looking for the Savior. I guarantee you that if you look for him, you will find him. If you keep on looking, you're bound to get the evidence that Jesus is alive. Oh, I need an amen right there. Second observation in this text, the Bible says that Peter came following him again, ran into the tomb, saw the the linen clothes one place and the handkerchief in another. Notice this, that when he gets to the tomb, as I mentioned to him earlier, he runs inside while John stays still. I like this. I like this because in Peter's searching for Jesus, he doesn't let an open tomb keep him from looking inside. Remember, Mary comes there in the morning, but she doesn't go inside. She sees the stone rolled away. John gets there before Peter, 
but he doesn't go inside. Peter is the first one to go into a place where no one else was willing to travel. Peter, when he goes inside, guess what? He gets to discover something critical. He's the first one to see that the grave clothes are there. They're lying by themselves. He discovers that the handkerchief that was around his head was neatly folded and placed in a location all by itself. He's what I call the first one to see the miracle. You want to know why? Because he was willing to go farther in and deeper down. What do you mean, pastor? Because Peter was willing to run in extra, he got to see a miracle from the Lord. The Bible is teaching us there was some success in his searching. In order for Peter to find what he was looking for, he had to go into the situation where it looked to be hopeless. In order for Peter to see some evidence, he had to go where nobody else was willing to go. In order for Peter to get some evidence, he had to take risk and move in faith to check out the impossible. And I want to challenge somebody here this morning. I don't know who you are, what your challenge may be, but let me tell you this. This morning, go ahead in faith. Go ahead and pursue the Lord so that he may reveal to you who he is and what his power can do in your life. I want to challenge you today to search for the evidence that God is at work in our broken world. I want to challenge you to move beyond your comfort zone today, RCC, and take a risk and investigate if it really is God calling you to come in closer. What I noticed about Peter, he wasn't afraid to go all the way for the master. He had a desire to see him. He was serious about looking for Jesus. And when he went inside, again, he saw what others didn't see. I got a question for you today. What's your desire this morning? What's your desire this morning? Do you desire to see him in the life of your children? Do you desire to see him in your community? Do you desire to see him at work in those you lives you work with? What's your desire this morning? How hungry for you are you for the master? Guess what? When he went inside, he saw something that others didn't see. When he went inside, he got exposed to what others didn't know. When he went inside, His faith was challenged and it was stretched. When he went inside, he saw the bandages that held the master. The bandages that wrapped his body was removed. This only meant one thing, beloved. Jesus was up and out of the grave. Peter got to see and wrestle with the truth that Jesus preached. They're going to kill me, Peter. I'm going to be buried, but on the third day, the Son of Man is going to rise again. Peter got to see firsthand Jesus was God, and he had risen again. 
One scholar commenting on this text said this, and I found this very profound. I thought I'd share it with you. Grave robbers in those days would have not taken the time to carefully unwrap the body. They wouldn't have done that. No, they would leave no evidence behind. They would have just dragged the whole body out of the empty tomb. That's how we know there was no grave robbery that day. No, this was evidence that the body passed through the bandages. And then there was evidence of the napkin around the head neatly being unwrapped and folded and placed in position and left there as evidence that he had conquered death, hell, and the grave. Oh, beloved, this is evidence of the resurrection. I know the world has their theories. I know the secularists and all of the doubters and the skeptics have their theory, but I'm so glad today that Jesus left evidence neatly that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And this is evidence, again, that nobody moved the body, stole the body, relocated the body, but rather the body came back to life. Well, we've looked at the disciples' sorrow. We've looked at the disciples' search. Let me show you now the disciples' sign. The Bible says in verse number 8 that then the other disciple, that's John, who came to the tomb first, he went in also. And he saw and he believed. Let me say that again. He saw what Peter saw. But John writes, and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples, they went away again to their own homes. Beloved, thank you for listening today and thank you for being here attentively and wrestling with me through this passage. But when you come to this last portion of the text, John, that other disciple who was with Peter, he received a sign to help him to believe the resurrection. See, though John outran Peter when he got the news, he didn't do what Peter did. See, he got there first, but he stayed outside. Uh, let me say it this way. He outran his brother disciple, but just because you get there first doesn't mean you have arrived. He got there, but did nothing with his search. And I think he was curious, but he really didn't want to know. I think he was hoping for some good news, but lacked the desire to go further than the next man. But now, after he saw Peter go in, he decided that he should follow him in his discovery. Why? That he might see Jesus for himself. Oh, beloved, listen, there was a time when I was coming up in my mom and dad's house where I knew about Jesus. I knew about the resurrection. I saw my mom and my dad pursuing him and going after him. I knew Jesus, but I didn't really want to know him. But there came a time when the sorrow in my life and the sadness of living in the fallen world became all my burdens and I needed to know the one who had power over 
this old world. And just like John, I had to come inside and see for myself. I like this because John got a sign when he looked for Jesus himself. John got a sign when he went a little farther in his faith. John got a sign when he decided to pursue truth on his own. John got a sign, beloved, when he stepped out in faith to see if God really was God. John got a sign when he too went to where no other man was willing to go. And guess what? This really got me right here. I'm hunting for an amen right there. Come on, say amen, somebody. He got a sign before he remembered the word. Did you read the text? The Bible says that he saw the miracle, but they still hadn't remembered the word yet. Okay, let me say it this way. Sister Maria, he got a sign before he knew the word or understood the word or even recognized that what Jesus had been preaching was true. He saw a miracle first and then the word came to him. The sign came before the text. He saw a miracle, then he got the word. He was introduced to the resurrection, and then he heard about the resurrection. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, God still uses signs and wonders, beloved, to open up the eyes of those who don't believe. Some people still have to see before they will believe. Some people can hear and believe, but most of us have to see it for ourselves. Before we believe, I want to encourage somebody today. They say, why won't my children get saved? Why won't they give their lives to God? Hold on. God will do something in their life for them to see first. And then the word will come alive to them. I wrote myself a note here. Sister Lydia, some people have to experience it and then they get it. Some people have to be shocked into believing. Some people have to see the data before it gets to the skull. I like this because God knows what it takes for everyone to believe. He knew John wouldn't go into the tomb first, so he sent Peter. He knew Peter was out of shape, so he let John get there first. It's not what you know about Jesus, but it's about what you do with what you know. I'm hunting for an amen right there. That felt good. Can I say it again for the people in the back? It's not what you know about Jesus, but it's what you do with what you know. The Bible says, then the disciples, after they saw it, look at this. They went away again to their own homes. No, this is interesting. As I get ready to land this plane today, the first thing is that They walk away from the miracle of the resurrection the same way that they came. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, see, they came from a place of despair. They came from a place of fear. They came from a place of isolation and insulation only to encounter the truth of the resurrection. However, when they discovered this news, they did nothing with it. You don't find Peter and John running to the community now to tell anybody else what they've seen. They've encountered the miracle, but they haven't told anybody about it. You would have thought they would have left there running to tell somebody what they've encountered. 
You would have thought they would have left there and told everybody about the amazing news. But they kept it to themselves and went back to the places from which they've come. They saw the tomb was empty. They saw the grave clothes. They believed something happened. The Bible says he saw and believed. They had an encounter with a miracle, but it wasn't enough to make them do something with what they encountered. And isn't that true for us today? God can do a miracle, show you a miracle, bring you a miracle, invite you to a miracle, bless you with a miracle, but if it doesn't speak to you, if he rather doesn't speak to you for yourself, you too can walk away miraculized and slip right back into unbelief. Somebody looking at me today, you know you a miracle. You know what God has done for you. You know where he's brought you from. You've seen him open doors. You've seen him promote you on jobs. You've seen him bless your babies, your parents, your entire clan. But it's not enough to make you tell somebody else about the God who's done all this in your life. You know why? These disciples, they needed to see him now. For themselves. Here it is. They needed an encounter with the resurrected Savior. The miracle wasn't enough. Well, I'm closing now. But I'm so glad that the Lord, he didn't disappoint them. I'm so glad he didn't just leave them hanging, Sister Star, with a miracle. I'm so glad he gave them more than grave clothes. Sister Christy, I'm so glad he gave them more than an empty tomb. I'm so glad he gave them more than a stone rolled away. I'm so glad he gave them more than just a testimony from the sisters. I'm so glad he showed up on Easter Sunday morning. I got some evidence of the resurrection. Can you handle it this morning? Listen, he appears to Simon Peter alone on that same day, evidence of the resurrection. He appeared to two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus that evening, evidence of the resurrection. He appeared to 10 disciples in that room that evening having dinner. Thomas wasn't there, but he showed up and met them, evidence of the resurrection. He appeared to the disciples again after Thomas had made himself to the meeting. He appeared to the disciples when they decided to go back fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to the 11 and above 500 brethren at one time on the mountainside in Galilee. He was on earth some 40 days after the resurrection appearing to them. The record is he appeared to James, the brother of John, all by himself. He appeared to the apostles in that upper room in the book of Acts before he went to be back in the right hand of the Father. And last of all, he appeared to Paul, that great apostle, who was one who was born out of due time. This same Jesus gave them more than a miracle, gave them more than an empty tomb. And guess what? He'll do the same in your life, too. I promise you he will. He showed up in my life some almost 40 years ago, gave me more 
than an empty tomb, gave me more than the miracle of life, but has appeared over and over and over and over and over again in my life. He's a Jesus, the King of kings, who loves you, who cares, who will show up. This same Jesus, he'll change your life. He'll give you a brand new start. He'll save you from your sins. He'll show up and make your hands brand new, make your feet brand new, make your thoughts brand new. He'll show up if you call him. I'm through preaching. I ran across a story of a young guy whose name was Philip. Philip was a little fourth grade kid who was born with Down syndrome. And Philip had a hard time in school assimilating with the other children for some reason, they wouldn't accept him because of how God had made him. But he had an excellent teacher. And the teacher was doing her best to try to teach these other fourth graders what it means to love people who are different from you. And one Easter Sunday morning, this teacher decided to give a demonstrative uh, project for the kids in the Sunday school class. So she took these Little, they used to have stockings that came in a little egg called legs. Maybe y'all remember that? Okay. Well, these Easter eggs, right? She took empty eggs and she brought them to the class. She said, I want you to take these and go out all around the church and collect signs of life. And when you get them, bring them back in the class and we're going to celebrate how we see life around our church. So the kids, you know, they broke out like Elder Hodges did when they ran out to class this morning. They broke out. They went and got their eggs. They ran all around the campus, and they start putting things in these little eggs, butterflies and leaves and grass and caterpillars. You know, kids, they brought all this stuff back to the teacher, and the teacher gathered them all around, and one by one, they begin to open them. Ooh, ah, that's awesome. Oh, man, that's so cool. And there was one egg that was empty. And when she opened it, the kids immediately got disappointed and said, somebody didn't follow the rules. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. And little Philip yelled out to him in the back of the class, that's mine. And they said, Philip, why didn't you do what you were told? He said, I did do what I was told, but the tomb is empty. And it went silent. And from that moment on, everybody understood what Philip was talking about. Well, the story doesn't end there. It gets sadder. A few weeks later, Philip all of a sudden got struck with an illness, and he died. The kids were so struck with sorrow, the teacher gathered them all back together, and in the funeral, they had an idea. They all went out and got those same little eggs. And at the burial site, they put them all around. Philip's casket. It was a sign to them that life is real in Christ and that guess what? The tomb is empty. I stopped by to tell you today, little Philip was right. The tomb is empty for the believers of Jesus Christ. 
Death cannot hold the believer. And what an opportunity for you to enter into life this morning with Jesus Christ, knowing that the tomb is empty. Listen, Monday's not mine. Tuesday's not mine. Wednesday's not mine. And if today is the last day I get to preach on earth, I came by RCC and I told you the tomb is empty. It's empty. And he who has the Christ has life. He who does not have the Christ does not have life. I'm through preaching, but I want to give you a wonderful invitation today. If I were you, I wouldn't leave this auditorium this morning without a personal relationship with Jesus. I know what you might be saying, but pastor, you don't know me, man. I'm I got problems, I got issues, and I want to say, son, daughter, all of us got problems. All of us got issues. There are none that are righteous. No, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous. That's why he came. That's why he became the sacrifice for our sins. He conquered death, he conquered the grave, and he has risen again that you might have life. The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? It means any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, at any time, in any place, anywhere, doing any sin. They are all welcome into the family of God. How do you come? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. The Bible says whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. You know why we got Easter? So you can be saved today. We've got Easter this morning so you can come. We've got an empty tomb as a sign for you. We've got miracles all around this auditorium as a sign for you. But now there's a personal encounter that God wants to give you. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Pray this prayer with me. Simply pray it and invite Christ into your heart. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? If you're here today and you don't have a personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, this appeal is for you, beloved. Simply say, dear Lord, I'm a sinner and I need my sin forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen.